0: Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. This, my friends, is Access Atlanta. It's a new podcast that shares the best things to do, see, eat, and experience. AJC Access Atlanta is sponsored by Northside Hospital Cancer Institute. Built to beat cancer. This is Shane Harrison with Access Atlanta and uh, this week I have AJC reporter Becca Godwin here. Uh, She's brought us a story. Uh, Welcome. Hi Shane. Uh, Tell us what you brought us this week. So I
2: have brought you a story about Um, A man in Atlanta who has started a business. Um, It's a pretty interesting one. He deals in selling antiques that are all sort of oddities. So a lot of it is um, death and death related, which of course sounds a little bit morbid, but that's not the, um, that's not really the the vibe that his business gives off. He's more, looks at it as, um, as history instead of, you know, sort of this, weird, sad thing that nobody wants to talk about it. He thinks it's actually what um, everyone has in common, is this sort of fascination with the odder things in life. And so um, so he sells antiques that are um, anything from old um, Ouija boards from the 1800s to hand puppets from um, the Adams Family that are, you know... Everything that he's selling, it's old. It's a uh, it's an antique, but it's also just like very very fascinating stuff.
0: Right. So so where does he uh, where does he do this? He sells them. So where where does he do that from?
2: Yeah. So a lot of it is actually from his couch. He said huh. um, eighty to ninety percent of things that he sells is over social media, and so he'll just huh. correspond with people that way, and then he'll mail it out to people all over the world but here in Atlanta he also does occasional pop-ups so that's where i first met him was at a pop-up at argosy the a restaurant in east atlanta village yeah. And they had a little market and he was there with his booth and I was immediately drawn over there. <laughs> huh. um, but he, so he'll post on, online on social media where he's having these pop-ups, but he consistently is at Scott Antique Market, which if you haven't been to that, I mean, you should just go for the experience of itself. Right. Um, but he's there every, they do it every second weekend of the month. Right. And he's always there for Thursday through Sunday, I believe.
0: Cool. So how did he get started doing this?
2: So James said that he has sort of just always been intrigued by this kind of thing. Like when he was in third grade, he memorized The Raven by Edgar Mm -hmm. Allan Poe. Like that was what he chose to memorize. And um, he remembers being really fascinated by the Nine Inch Nails video Closer. Right. Which that's another thing if you haven't seen it. Just give it a watch and he, he. a lot of people are grossed out by it because they're like insects and weird things going on, but um, he just, he was drawn to it and he wanted to, he liked the aesthetic of all that. And so he eventually started collecting these items and didn't really have um, the plan to sell them. And then um, he he unexpectedly got custody of his six year old daughter, right. and so he wanted to change from the um, sort of corporate job he had to where yeah. he'd be able to spend more time with her huh. and not have to miss out, you know, on all those big moments. And so he um, decided to see if he could if he could make it work by selling these items, and he's had big success with it so far. Right?
0: Cool. Well, I mean, I know that it's like. Our our perceptions of of death and things surrounding death have changed uh, over the years. I, I think. I mean, in the Victorian era, it was much more, um, it was much more of a um, a thing that people embraced a bit. I think, and and so, I mean, it's interesting that there are still people who do.
2: Absolutely, yeah, and that's what's um, what's interesting as well. As I I asked him about you know his his average client, and he said that it's impossible to say because it's, it ranges so broadly. Like there are, you know, doctors and lawyers who are very interested in these letters from, um, from serial killers. He hmm. sells a lot of those, um, you know, pen pals will write to these people in jail and um, get these really very intriguing letters back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and yeah. So he has people who are, you know, into that, or he has um, just, other people who, um, just people you wouldn't really expect. It's, it's not necessarily people who, you know, you can tell by looking at them, right. like, wearing all black. You know, it's not that yeah. stereotype. It's just sure. all, all
1: over the place.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, he sounds like a really fascinating guy. So, um, yeah, let's uh, take a listen to Becca's story.
1: This is Piggly and Wiggly. It's a conjoined pig. There are some of my favorites. Those are two that my daughter uh, is in love with and said we can never sell.
2: James Freeman lives in Pine Lake, Georgia, on a quiet, narrow road with a quaint police department on one end and a beachy lake where neighbors take dips at the other. His neighborhood has a sleepy, almost twilight zone quality to it. One spring morning, he emerged from his house dressed in an all-black suit, that includes the shirt and the tie, and cheerfully welcomed his guests. We passed a shrunken head hanging from a tree branch in his yard, a leftover Halloween decoration, he explained, and entered his home slash museum, or what he referred to as a demented Pee Wee's Playhouse. That's where he keeps his personal collection and his inventory for his business, Freeman and Fugate Oddities.
1: That's an original drawing by Robert Ripley, who did Ripley's Believe It or Not. It's one of the few that you'll really see in a private collection. I got very, very lucky when I found that. Um, And I just love that you can see every place that Ripley erased, or every pencil, pen, stroke. It's great. Um, This is a really fascinating board to me. Uh, From 1920, J.W. Simmons. It's really unsettling when you first see it and you see the Star of David next to a swastika. Um, A lot of collectors call that uh, the Halloween board because you notice the witch and the black cat. Um, But of course 1920 predated the Nazis. Um, There's nothing fascist at all about that board. There's nothing racist about it. It just is what it is. Different time, different good luck charms. Um, This is an 1891 canard. This is one of the very first Ouija boards ever made. The very first year they were made. they were made with a, there was a brass stencil, I believe, that they would, um, they would do, um, do a stencil on the boards. They're all va- little variations on them. And then you got different planchettes and mystic board, rajah, all this stuff. 1890, uh, the Kennard Company invented the Ouija board. And uh, I have an example of that that I'll show you in a second. Um, that board, um, what happened was it, there are different stories about how it was named. And it's we and ja, yes, yes, you know, in French and German. Um, but the other story is that one of the sisters of, of uh, Elijah Bond, I think it was his sister, who was one of the creators, uh, was a medium. And she asked the board what it wanted to be named. And it said, spelled out Ouija. I don't believe that story for a second, but that's okay.
2: <laughs> so how would you, how do you describe your business to people?
1: Well, I describe um, what we do. I'm a purveyor of the odd and macabre um, death and death related things, um, things that are rare, unique, antique, um, with a dark or morbid bent. Um, the thing is, is that people, the most often, uh, question that I get from people when people see me at events like that is they ask me, are, are you selling this stuff? Is this stuff for sale? Cause they think it's like a museum that I set up, you know, and it's like, no, it's not, it's all for sale. I promise. Um, but it's like, I basically focus on things that, um, are rare and odd. And, The reasoning for the death bent, one of the reasonings, is because it's the one thing that we all have in common. And it's the one great mystery. So it's obviously fascinating, and it fascinates lots of people. So basically anyone that looks at what I have can relate to it on some level. And
2: how does one get into something like this?
1: Oh, I've been a collector for years, and one of the things that I um, started out uh, really got me into the darker stuff was when I was a kid reading Tales from the Crypt comic books and reprints of the Tales from the Crypt comic books from the 50s, the EC comic books that were banned. They were horror-themed, and there were, you know, these horrible things, these horrible creatures, and it was great, you know, I, I really dug them. And um, I remember in uh, third grade we had to memorize a poem, and I memorized The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe, the entire thing, which the, the teacher was completely taken aback by the fact that, you know, a kid this young was reading this, but it just always spoke to me. It's just one of those things that got me. And Honestly, as far as aesthetically, as far as the aesthetic in, um, of old medical items, the really obs- obsolete, obscure, and terrifying ways that medicine was done in the past, those kind of came to me from uh, the youngest I remember was watching the Nine Inch Nails Closer video. And I remember watching that video and thinking, I want to live in this video. As, as disturbing as it was, I just thought it was really beautiful and in a really archaic sort of way. Over here is an original Alexander the Magician poster. Um, He was a mentalist and magician. Uh, It's one of my most, I think it's the most striking, one of the most striking magic posters of all time. Uh, Absolutely beautiful, Uh, 1920s. Here is an anisophletic pig, um, which has brains on the outside of its head. It's hard to really see with that guy. He's kind of not the best for that. This is an 1893 Kennard Ouija board. That was one of the first along with a um, the book in front of it is from 1918 that is uh, called Voices from the Void. It was a book on spiritualism, which was a movement that was really big in the 1800s and it was all about contacting the dead. Uh, people had seances in their homes constantly. People, you know, almost every home had a Ouija board. It was accepted. Um, the frame poster in front of you is from 1920. The fake mediums exposed. A lot of magicians would um, try to uh, they were skeptics. the biggest skeptic was Harry Houdini. Harry Houdini wanted to believe in the afterlife desperately, especially after the death of his mother. He was obsessed with his mother, uh, collapsed upon hearing news of her death and um, he uh, was friends with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle that wrote Sherlock Holmes. It was a creator of Sherlock Holmes and um, Lady Doyle, who was his Holmes, uh, uh, Doyle's wife, was a medium or claimed to be. So Houdini sat with her wanted to reach his beloved mother and they had this this séance and it was he was going to finally talk to her and they broke through. And Miss Houdini spoke to Harry in English which she never spoke. She wrote in English which she never wrote and she signed it with a cross and she was Jewish. So after that he was a devout skeptic and um, debunker of mediums, false mediums, connecting, uh, contacting the afterlife. It consumed him, and a lot of people say it could have partially killed him, too, because uh, the spiritualists were very angry. Doyle was a good friend of his, and they were not friends at all after that.
2: On any given day, there's no telling what you might find in James's collection. But there are a few things you won't ever find him selling.
1: Um, that skull is a very old skull. Came out of a museum collection. It's from um, the, probably the 171800s. No, no human remains whatsoever. I don't sell any. I just collect them. They're part of my aesthetic. So
2: on your um, on your Instagram page, mm-hmm. your bio says in big capital letters, "We do not sell human remains." Yes. Is that a question that you get a lot from people?
1: Every day. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's one of those things that I've collected those over the years, and I've sourced them from in-state, from old medical collections, and from osteological collections, from uh, museum collections. Um, Georgia is one of three states that has laws governing the sale of human remains. Our law is that you can buy and sell human remains in the state of Georgia. They cannot cross state lines, period. It's a felony. Cannot do it. Um, I choose to... Not, well, first of all, I, I had my lawyer look over the laws, too. No one's ever been prosecuted for it. Um, but it's one of those things that w- I talked to him and made the calculated decision that, that I don't want to even delve into that world. And it's also a world that people, um, you get a lot of more judgment for. There are certain things I won't touch. Uh, the human remains are one of them just because the fact that um, I don't want to deal with it and the potential that someone gets offended and decides that it's... You know they want to push the matter um, even though it's not illegal. Um, I won't deal with any Nazi items whatsoever. Anything that involves racism or hate won't touch it, um, which is one of those things I get offered a lot. Uh, I get offered a lot of Nazi memorabilia because people think you're into morbid things and so you should like this or you should want this, but no, I, I won't touch that. Um, and, um, you know, I've, I've gotten offered lynching photos and Klan stuff, and I'm like, I don't want anything to do with anything involving hate. Um, The only thing that I sell that is controversial, I would think, honestly, is the serial killer stuff, Um, because I have had people get offended by that, but I, you know, explain to them it's a piece of history, and it's an interesting way to be able to look into the mind of a person that did these horrible things and see, in some cases, how unfortunately normal they are in their letters and how it would be easily to be fooled by them. So,
2: and Do you think they're offended because it, they think that it's glorifying murder? I
1: think so sometimes, which there are definitely people in the, in the true crime collecting hobby that do that. I mean, one of the people that I've um, bought from over the years, they, um, they used to talk to Richard Ramirez on the phone every day and I have friends that talk to living killers on the phone and consider them friends and it's a very very bizarre world that I won't know part of as far as that that aspect of it but seeing their letters and seeing their art it does give you an insight into their damaged psyche a lot of times and you see like this might have been where this went wrong so the way I look at it it's like anything else it's a piece of history this is from a currently incarcerated serial killer named Philip Jablonski. I, I'd sell a lot of Jablonski's stuff because he's still alive and I get a lot of it. Uh, he drew a pic, painted a picture of the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez. You see signs at Philip Jablonski, San Quentin, Death Row. Uh, he's a horrible artist. <laughs> they pretty much all are horrible artists, so you know. Um, but yeah, he murdered five women. He's, including uh, one of his pen pals. He got out of jail and went and murdered a pen pal. And it's funny, one of my friends that I get his stuff from talks to, they call him Uncle Phil, they talk to Jablonski on the phone all the time, and Jablonski writes his kids, really weird. And, uh, but uh, I asked him one time, I was like, do you think if he got out he'd come murder your whole family? And he was like, absolutely. He's totally unrepentant. I'm like, you know, okay, whatever, cool. James does most of his selling
2: from his home. About 80 to 90% of his transactions are done through the mail but he occasionally travels and sets up his booth around town. I asked him how often he gets on the road for work, and one thing was clear. Family comes first. So you've been collecting for years, and then what made you decide to start selling it?
1: Well, um, I I had a corporate job, and I've done a lot of jobs, but I had a a corporate job a couple years ago, and I very unexpectedly got full custody of my six-year-old daughter. And then I realized within about a week of getting her, that I couldn't be the kind of parent that I wanted to be and work all the time. You know, it was a moment of panic, like, oh no, what am I going to do? And it's like, I want to be at every field trip. I want to be at every PTA meeting. I want to be at the Girl Scout meetings. I want to be at the ballet recitals. And I couldn't do it with the job I was having. So I spoke with my now fiance, Kate Fugate, who's my partner, and um, support for doing this. (laughs) And uh, she, um, you know, she was like, babe, I believe in you. Do whatever you think you can do, and I started thinking about it, and I was like, well, I have all this stuff, I can start seeing if anybody wants to buy any of it, and it's been over two years now that this is all that I've done, um, it's been, um, I have clients all over the world, and I found that I had no idea that there was such a market for a lot of this stuff, But I mean, I can sit on my couch and make $800 in a day some days, which is great, which was every day, but, um, that was what the inspiration behind starting it was my daughter. And she loves it. She, uh, she gets upset when I sell a, you know, a piece of taxidermy she likes or a skull she likes or a Ouija board especially that she likes. And some of these things I can never sell because she said I can't. <laughs> I asked James what
2: his ambitions and hopes for his business are.
1: And at one point it was a brick and mortar store. And we could have done that this year. We, we did well enough to where that was a real possibility. But I really think that that sort of thing is dying out when it comes to this. I think um, I would have a lot of people looking and not purchasing, trading it like a museum. Um, eventually, that's something I would like to do, is do a museum.
0: Let's see what's happening in and around Atlanta over the next 10 days. Three strikingly different but noteworthy shows are happening Monday, Wednesday, and Friday of next week. First, on Monday, June 4th, is Shania Twain. The queen of pop country returned to touring in 2015 after a decade away from the road. That tour brought her to Phillips Arena. This time around, she's playing the Infinite Energy Arena in Duluth. In between those dates, she released her fifth album and turned 50 years old. Find tickets, which run thirty nine ninety five to one fifty nine ninety five, at InfiniteEnergyCenter.com. On Wednesday, June 6th, it's New York-based trio Sunflower Beat, a band that just released its second album, 22 in Blue. It's interesting that the arbiters of Indie Cool at Pitchfork noted that, quote, they're never more than two degrees removed from Fleetwood Mac, unquote. Because 22 in Blue recalls prime Rilo Kiley to me, band that was itself enamored at Buckingham Knicks-era Fleetwood Mac, and is also one of my favorite albums of the year. You can hear it for yourself at Aisle 5 and Little Five Points on June 6th for just $12, and you can get those tickets at Aisle5.com. That's A-I-S-L-E 5, the numeral 5, at A-T-L.com. On Friday, catch a hometown hero's return to the stage as Big Boy, a.k.a. half of Outcast, takes the stage at the Tabernacle. His third solo album, Boomiverse, was released in 2017. It included collaborations with Adam Levine, Killer Mike, and Jeezy. Big Boy is at the Tabernacle on June 8th, and those tickets are $25 to $35, and you can get those at tabernacleatl.com. If it's the second weekend in June, that means it's time for the 8th annual Peachtree Corners Festival. The fest gets underway on Friday, June 8th at 7.30 p.m. with a free concert from the 70s-loving Yacht Rock Schooner. There will be beer and food aplenty, and unlike some of these free festival concerts, you can bring your own lawn chairs. The festival itself happens 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Saturday, June 9th, and noon until 5 p.m. on Sunday, June 10th. The weekend brings lots of arts and crafts vendors, plenty of great food, musical entertainment, children's activities, and a car show. The Peachtree Corners Festival is located at 6236 Crooked Creek Road in Peachtree Corners, just one block west of Peachtree Parkway. For more information, please check out the website at peachtreecornersfestival.com. There's nothing else quite like tunes from the tombs at Oakland Cemetery. A music festival in a historic cemetery might seem like an odd fit, but it's a wonderful way to enjoy a late spring day in Atlanta. You'll get more than a dozen local acts performing throughout Oakland Cemetery, including long-serving Atlanta rock luminaries driving and crying. All proceeds from Tunes from the Tombs benefits the historic Oakland Foundation's mission to preserve, restore, enhance, and share Oakland Cemetery. Gates open at noon on Saturday, June 9th, with performances running from 12.30 p.m. until 8 p.m. Get all the details at oaklandcemetery.com, where you can also find out more about this unparalleled piece of Atlanta history where the event takes place. So many of us can relate to Peter Pan. After all, sometimes growing up seems like a pretty bad deal. The folks at Serenby Playhouse are bringing the boy who refused to grow up to the banks of the creek in the Serenby community in southwest Fulton County. The action begins after Peter and his Lost Boys have defeated Captain Hook, taken over his ship, and returned to the forests of Neverland, where life is a never-ending party. But the party might be coming to an end as the Lost Boys begin to yearn for home. Then Captain Hook returns, seeking revenge, and Peter is faced with his greatest battle yet. Catch the world premiere of this new musical pirate adventure by Roger Q. Mason at Serenby Playhouse. It opens May 31st and runs through August 26th. Tickets are $13 to $23, and you'll find them at serenbyplayhouse.com. For more things to do around Metro Atlanta, head to accessatlanta.com. Our senior editor is Nicole Smith, podcast edited by Ryan Horn, music by Bo Emerson and Billy Guen, and I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta. AJC Access Atlanta is sponsored by Northside Hospital Cancer Institute, built to beat cancer.